Today on Blue 58, don't look now, but your Green Bay Packers are but one game away from the Super Bowl. Let's talk about how Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and a couple timely plays from the defense help stave off the Seahawks. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here just that much closer to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it got hairy there for a little bit, but hey, the Packers won, and now all they have to do, just one tiny little thing, is to go to San Francisco, a place where they already got handled this year, and beat what could be the best remaining team in the NFL. That's it. That's all. And then they're in the Super Bowl. Seems pretty straightforward to me. There's plenty of time for 49ers talk. Let's talk about the Packers. We ended the last podcast talking about how this game could and perhaps should be seen as a referendum on Aaron Rodgers. The talk for years and years and years was get Aaron Rodgers a defense and see what happens. Well, this year the Packers had a defense. And now Aaron Rodgers was in a position to sort of determine the Packers' playoff life. And even if there were some rough spots, I think he came through for the Packers today. This was big game football. The stats were not necessarily spectacular, though 113.7 passer rating is never anything to sneeze at. Aaron Rodgers played pretty well in this one, particularly on third downs. On third downs alone, he was 9 of 11 passing For 121 yards and a touchdown, he was sacked once, but that's a passer rating of 155.8. Not too bad. He was especially good on third and long plays. Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers' offensive coordinator, says they like to get in third third and six or less. So for our purposes, third and seven or more is going to be a third and long. The Packers did pretty well on those situations. On their first drive, they faced two, a third and eight and a third and seven. They were converted with a pass to Jimmy Graham and a touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, respectively. The second drive, they had a third and nine. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball away on that one. On their third drive, they faced a third and 13. Aaron Rodgers made a good decision and delivered a good pass to Jamal Williams, but he couldn't beat one guy in the open field to pick up the first down. On the Packers' eighth drive, Aaron Rodgers completed a tough third and 10 pass to Geronimo Allison and then was sacked on the third and nine later in the drive. And then finally, on the Packers' ninth and final drive of the game, Aaron Rodgers completed a great throw on third and eight to Devontae Adams, then finished off the game with a third and nine completion to Jimmy Graham coming across the field uh, for what would ultimately be the deciding third down play. Regardless of how the rest of the game went, I think going five of eight, on third and seven or more is pretty big-time football. Did Aaron Rodgers get some help in those situations? Sure. Did he put put them in those situations a couple of times? Definitely. That third and eight on the Packers' uh, second-to-last drive was only a third and eight because Aaron Rodgers threw the ball away on second and eight. But did he dig them out of those holes? He did. And it's a big reason why they won. He was very precise with his ball handling. Those play-action fakes worked so well because he was so good disguising what he was doing and handling the ball. And I think he really only made one significantly bad play. On the Packers' seventh drive of the game, they faced a third and four. Seattle had just scored to make it 28-17, so the game's tightening up a little bit. And it looked like Aaron Rodgers just locked in on Devontae Adams on a slant route. He threw into what amounted to triple coverage there. It was broken up. The Packers had to punt. 
Seattle comes down and scores to make it 28-23. But the Packers hold on and win. And I think the bottom line is this. Aaron Rodgers delivered. The Packers won. And again, I'm going to come back to this time and time again. They are 60 minutes from the Super Bowl. How did Seattle come back, though? And should we be worried about this? You may have noticed, but this game got a little bit tight there in the second half for a while. Seattle came out and scored on their first three possessions of the second half and pulled to within five points. How did they do it? Well, they got some help from the Packers, and they got from some help from the Packers in two significant ways. First, a tactical decision to kind of allow the Seahawks to kill clock. And then second, failing to finish on Russell Wilson. Let's talk about that first one first. Allowing the Seahawks to kill clock. I think this is a tactical decision by Mike Pettin, and I'm not sure it really worked. It's kind of akin to the prevent defense. You want the offense to slowly move the ball down the field, keep everything in front of you, and force them to make a bunch of plays in a row if they want to get into the end zone. Well, Russell Wilson is capable of making a bunch of plays in a row. In a way, it kind of did work, the tactic. The Seahawks needed drives of 10 plays, 12 plays, and 9 plays to score. And that 12-play drive alone took 6.5 minutes off the clock. But the problem with this tactic is obvious and twofold. First, they scored. So if you were trying to prevent them from getting all the way down the field by making them run a whole bunch of plays, well... Sorry, they, they did it. They managed to get all the way down the field three times. That's the second problem. Not only did they score, they scored three times. They scored three times in a row, and suddenly you're down or you're up only five points. And if that last drive goes a little bit differently, Seattle has a couple minutes to just go down and get in the end zone and win the game. The second problem is probably unique to this game. The Packers just could not get Russell Wilson down. And even when they did... They weren't necessarily kill shots, and I don't mean like hitting him hard. I mean like plays that actually affected the Seahawks' drive. How many times did he make a play because people just flat out missed him or couldn't tackle him? Here are my notes from the Seahawks' seventh drive, starting with their third play. I've got more things than this in my notebook, but I just describe each play a little bit, uh, just briefly. Uh, Wilson scramble, Lynch stuffed. Wilson extends. Wilson check down. Wilson check. Lynch inside. Wilson scramble. Wilson flips to Wilson, the tight end. 91 and 55 can't finish. Wilson scrambles. 91 can't finish. Wilson designed rollout or run. Wilson extends play. Touchdown to Lockett. That was pretty symptomatic of most of the second half. Russell Wilson was just making plays. He was making plays in part because the the Packers were sitting back and, and daring him to make plays, dropping seven guys into coverage quite frequently. But he was able to make plays. And it kept the Seahawks in the game. Fortunately, they won't even they won't have to play anybody quite like Russell Wilson for the rest of the season, however long that may be. Jimmy Garoppolo has many merits. Uh Russell Wilson-like mobility in the pocket is not one of them. Even Patrick Mahomes is not quite the same as Russell Wilson. When the Packers, on top of that, did sack Russell Wilson, it wasn't that effective. That's the uh, the kill shot sort of thing that I was talking about. They sacked Russell Wilson five times in this game, but only he only lost 12 yards on those plays. As far as sacks go, those aren't very costly. Yeah, you're losing it down, but if you're only losing on average just over five or two yards per play on those sacks, 
you can probably live with that. That's roughly that's that's just a running play there. That's not pushing you back seven, eight, nine yards on one of those really deep, disastrous sacks. Seattle was able to absorb those sacks and just keep moving down the field, and they did. Is this something we should be worried about long term? I think in the grand scheme of things, I would prefer the 49ers or whoever else the Packers may play this season. I guess it's the 49ers, the Titans, or the Chiefs, right? Those are the opponents for the rest of the season. We don't have to say whoever. That's all it can be. Um, Any one of those teams, you would prefer them to beat you on 10, 12 play drives, if they're going to beat you, than I think just gutting you with big explosive plays again and again and again. You don't want to lose either way. But I feel like it's harder for the offense to win if they have to string string together 10 or 12 plays on a drive again and again. If they can't, you've got a good chance to win that game. If they can't and they still pick up those big chunk plays, well, then you're probably cooked either way. But, hey, if your offense or if your opponent has to go 12 plays on each and every drive and that's how they score their touchdowns, Sometimes you just have to tip your hat to the other guys and remember that they're paid to play too. Finally, we couldn't go any farther without talking about how just outstanding Devontae Adams was. Very, very good in this game. Looked more dialed in than I think anybody we've seen for the Packers catching the football in a long, long time. Probably since like 2014, Jordy Nelson. Nobody that good at running routes having that kind of connection with Aaron Rodgers, with the physical skills to really still make explosive plays down the field. I know Jordy put up a lot of good yard or good good stats in 2016, but he wasn't the same sort of explosive player that he was prior to the ACL injury. His 160 yards was the most someone has posted in the divisional round since Akeem Nix did it to the Packers in 2011, according to my power sweep colleague Gary Zillavy. Did the Packers play the Giants in the playoffs that year, though? I, I don't seem to be able to remember that. Uh, might just escape my memory for whatever reason. Uh, but 160 yards is an outstanding afternoon for Devontae Adams and a Packers playoff record, it should be noted, as they pointed out on the broadcast. But you know who he beat? Jermichael Finley, who had nine catches for 159 yards in that wild Packers-Cardinals game way back in 2009. Boy, that seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Jermichael Finley, 2009, Packers playing the Cardinals, Packers losing to the Cardinals. It was a different era. Uh, But Devontae Adams is proving to be quite the big playoff performer. This was his seventh career playoff game. In that span, he has six touchdowns, three 100-yard games, four games with five or more catches, and two games of 125 yards or more. One of only two players in Packers history, it should be noted, to put up 125 yards or more in a single playoff game, the other being Greg Jennings. Great day for Devontae Adams. Hopefully he can duplicate that against Richard Sherman in San Francisco. Speaking of San Francisco, they loom ominously on the horizon here. They are a really, really good team. And depending on what numbers you look at, they might be a historically good team. It's possible that all the Packers won tonight is the right to get pummeled in a week. If that's the case, so be it. We're going to dive into the 49ers throughout the rest of this week. And the Packers may very well 
just get hammered next Sunday. But if the trade-off is you have a 50% shot of just getting blown out by the 49ers on national television while also having, what, a 5 or 10% chance of winning and going to the Super Bowl, I'll take those odds any day of the week. If we would have sat down in July and said, hey, the Packers this year have a 10% shot at getting to the Super Bowl and a 50% shot of getting blown out in the final game of the year. Is that something you're interested in? I think I would say yes. Yes, I would. That may be where we are right now. And that's a pretty exciting place to be. This has been a fun season, and it's a fun season that's taken us all the way to the NFC Championship game. What we get right now is a week more of fun and potentially a blowout loss next weekend. But you know what? It's possible that game goes the other way as well. That's why they play him. And as long as you have a shot, anything could happen. Let's wrap up with a couple odds and ends from this game. Brian Bulaga not playing was a bit of a surprise. We'd been following the story of the flu kind of tearing through the Packers locker room throughout this week. He was the latest victim. Uh, even as early as this morning, it sounded like his symptoms were, were taking a turn for the worse. But he was uh, active for this game but did not play. That's a tough ask for a professional athlete. The flu and then then playing in this in a, a game like a, a playoff game of football, that would be a tough, tough afternoon. Um, but I think his absence and the Packers not really bogging down in his absence really shows the quality of the team that Brian Gutekunst has put together here because uh, Jared Veld here is available to, to step up and step in in relief of Bulaga. There were a couple bumps in the roads there for, for Veld here, but hey, He was retired two months ago. That he is capable at all, I think, is a big win for the Packers. I mean, the alternative is somebody like Alex Light out there in a playoff game. And thinking about that heading into uh, the 49ers game is just, well, it's a little bit concerning. At the very least, Valdir didn't lose it for him, which I think is about all you can ask from a backup offensive lineman at this point in the season. Uh, it was funny, after the game, some quotes coming out, he told Aaron Rodgers that he was actually at the Packers game in week one, just not as a player for the Packers or Bears, as a spectator. Now he's playing for them in the divisional round of the playoffs. But he's not the only one, the only significant contributor the Packers have added over the course of the season. Tyler Irvin was returning kicks for the Jaguars way back in week one. Ibrahim Campbell couldn't even practice yet. Both of them played key roles for the Packers today as well. It just shows how your roster can grow and change over the course of a season. Sticking with the offensive side of the ball, Jay Sternberger hasn't really gotten into the passing game all that much yet. It was interesting to see him getting reps, though, as essentially a Danny Vitale clone. Uh, that's an interesting skill set for him, considering that uh, the, the big knock on him coming out in the draft was that he really couldn't block all that well. But if you can at least be athletic enough to get out in front of guys and get in the way, that's maybe a net positive depending on on the play that you've got called. And I thought it was cool to see Sternberger get those opportunities. That may be something that we watch with him in the future. 
There was a lot of talk headed up to this game and even in the game itself about the 2014 NFC Championship game. I won't belabor you with more talk about that, but if you wanted to exercise some memories from that game, you might start with executing better inside the 10-yard line. That was a big reason the Packers only had a 16-point lead in that game and a big reason they lost. Tonight, though, the Packers did pretty well inside the Seahawks' 10-yard line. They were inside that yard marker twice and came away with touchdowns both times, both of them featuring that little H-back run thing that we've talked about. Let's talk about that some more. So this is that play where they have Alan Lazard uh, or a wide receiver, whoever it may be, motion in from being split out wide and line up as sort of an H-back or a wing or something like that, and they ultimately end up running the ball typically to that side. They ran that play twice, both times, for touchdowns. One of them was with Alan Lazard in the H-back role. The other one was with Jake Kumro, and both ended up going for touchdowns. I thought it was especially interesting that on the Kumro play, it looked like he ended up blocking Jadavian Clowney one-on-one, which is not a matchup that you'd think would be uh, in the Packers' favor, but they ended up scoring a touchdown on that play. Speaking of exciting things to see, how about Aaron Rodgers running a quarterback sneak? That was neat to see and also pretty rare. I... How would you look that up? I'm not really sure. But Aaron Rodgers has typically not been a quarterback sneak type of quarterback. They ran it tonight, though, and they got a yard when the Packers needed it on a third and one down near the Seahawks goal line. That's pretty cool to see. Pretty much the exact opposite of a quarterback sneak is like literally any explosive play. For our purposes, again, that's a run of 12 yards or more or a pass play of 16 yards or more. By my early numbers here, the Packers had at least eight explosive plays tonight. That's a pretty good total. Uh, they've been winners the vast majority of the times when they, they get that amount of explosive activity in their offense. Three of their eight explosive plays in this game came on third downs. And my favorite might have been the sort of quasi-seam route, post route to Jimmy Graham. That converted a third and six for the Packers. And two plays later, Devontae Adams scored a touchdown. Key plays, important plays, Jimmy Graham, of course, delivering as we all expected he would. There was a little bit of special teams weirdness in this one. First and foremost, uh, B.J. Goodson getting to return a kickoff. I actually laughed out loud when that happened. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the Seahawks are trying to do there. Uh, It was probably to get B.J. Goodson to return a kickoff, but uh, he covered up and made sure he didn't fumble on that play. Uh, I also thought it was interesting, given how much we've talked about punt returns over the past couple weeks, Uh, that we got a really great example of the Packers going with a safe return look. On the Seahawks' second drive, they faced a fourth-and-one play in relatively good field position. Instead of going with a full-on punt return, the Packers left their base defense out there in what's usually called a safe return and put Tyler Irvin back deep in place of one of the safeties. This is not a play where they're looking to actually return the punt, and Tyler Irvin, I believe, actually fair caught that one. I don't really have anything to add there other than if you want to go back and look at that, it happened on the Seahawks' second drive of the game. But I thought given what we've talked about over the past couple weeks or so about how punt returns and just field position can affect the game, it was interesting to see evidence of how teams think about the down and distance stuff and and how they are playing specific situations. Uh, Finally, Earlier on, we mentioned the Packers' sacks not being super consequential throughout the night. As we wrap things up for this evening, I did want to mention one sack that was especially impactful. On the Seahawks' last drive of the game, they faced a third and five. And the Packers did something that they really didn't do throughout the rest of the game. They brought some additional pressure. 
They didn't blitz a whole lot at all in this game, but on this play, they brought exactly one extra body. Preston Smith and Kyler Facco rushed from the outside in this look. Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith rushed from the inside. And then, who should come across the line of scrimmage but Blake Martinez? It didn't even really look like he was trying to get to the quarterback. He was just sort of providing some token pressure to occupy an opposing lineman. And this all but guaranteed that one of those pass rushers was going to get a one-on-one matchup if Seattle didn't block everything exactly right. And that player ended up being Preston Smith, who got a one-on-one look against a tight end. He gets the sack, Seattle punts, and they never touch the ball on offense again. Pretty exciting moment. Pretty inspired play call, I think, from Mike Pettin, who has really gotten things together for the Packers defense down the stretch this season. I'll be very interested to see how he handles the run-heavy again 49ers next week. But that is a week away for right now. Enjoy another Packers win, the 14th of the season. How often have we been able to say that? I don't care if they're ugly. I don't care if the Packers are the worst 13-3 and team ever. It doesn't matter. They won 14 games this season, and they are 60 minutes from the Super Bowl. That's all we can ask for. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, John Meerdink. I really do appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes and listen in. We've gotten some great listener questions over the past couple weeks. I'll take some time to answer those in the near future. Uh, We'll see how the content shakes out this week. But if you have any thoughts or questions about the 49ers, throw them my way. We'll see what we can come up with uh, to dive into over our next couple episodes before the Packers are on the field again. If you like what you heard today and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing on whatever podcast platform you use that does help more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is to donate a dollar per month at patreon.com slash the power sweep. A dollar a month Offsets are hosting costs for us. It gives you access to some special content uh, from me uh, that, that we put together just for our Patreon supporters. There will be more of that coming throughout the year, so check that out as well. If you've got an idea for the show, just want to say hi, reach out for the pow- or at thepowersweep.com on Facebook, on Twitter, or by email. Uh, we do appreciate anybody who takes the time to reach out because by doing so, you are furthering the conversation around the Packers, which furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.